Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. Uh, today, I'm delighted to be joined by Amy, Amy Crossan from uh, from Canada. It's a while since we've had a, a Canadian. Do you call Canucks? What is that? Is that crazy <laughs> Canucks? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> crazy Canucks. That's the. Is that the? Is that what they call the the the, the ice skaters? The what's it? Um, uh, yeah, the the. the uh, the NHL um, team in Vancouver is called the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Canucks. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 yeah. I, I went to Vancouver years ago. It was really, I thought it was a really clean city. It's the cleanest city that I. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. I like, I really enjoy Vancouver. It's very expensive to live there uh, now, but it is a nice place to visit for sure. Yeah. So before we started, um, uh, when, before I hit the record button, we were talking, um, listeners, about a potential topic uh, following on from a conversation I had with Amy um, a couple of months ago. And we came up with this, uh, or you mentioned this this word, this phrase, deconstructing beliefs. Mm-hmm. So um, why is that? Why do you think that's important? Why has that been important for you? Why do you think that's important for us? What What's the deal about deconstructing beliefs? Deconstruction? Yeah, I think, um, well, I've been in reunion um, with my first mom that's been 25 years this spring. And I think um, as such, reunion takes kind of phases. It goes in phases. And so the first part of reunion is always that honeymoon phase. It's um, almost a blur because it's just almost unbelievable that you're, you know, reuniting with your mom and um I kind of call it that fight or flight um, place where you're just trying to figure out all these new relationships and trying to survive. And then you settle into this um, place of maybe not so much depth, but you feel a little bit more settled in it. So you, you're kind of, you feel safe in that place. So you stay there for a while. And then if reunion goes on, um, I think that for me, reunion became a place where I started to have feelings and thoughts that, I never had until I was in reunion because you have that physical representation of the person that you've always thought about and wondered about and you discover that she's a real person. So as you continue in um, relationship, I think that there's always more themes, more thoughts, more feelings that come up. And so you get to a place where you start to look back and um, start to think about some of the the moments, I guess, or the, um, yeah, some of the thoughts and feelings that you had in reunion throughout. For me, I've been in therapy for the last few years. And so I think I am in a place where I've cleared a lot of the chaos. And so I've had more room um, to look back on some of those times. And and I'm older now too, (laughs) Um, a little bit more settled in my life. And so, yeah, it's been a lot about deconstruction for me, looking back at some of those themes and thoughts and feelings. And I've been able to then now be in a better place to kind of work through them. Um, And it's helped me to, yeah, just examine. um, I think we talked about this, like unconscious biases that I held about adoption that I didn't even realize that I was holding like about my own adoption um which was very surprising to me and it's I think it's made me um my view has shifted a lot on different things um and I really realized that I was kind of conforming to mainstream 
adoption culture, which I was so proud of the fact that I didn't think I, I was. Um, so it's really helped me to look at some of the themes that I was holding in my own life about adoption. Right. Wow. I'm, I'm, I say white with, uh, with a bit of foreboding there. There's so much there. It's like, what do I, what do I dive, dive in for? Um, uh, first thing is an easy one. Um, is this, you talked about this physical representation. So we were, before we hit the record button, I was saying that I'd, uh, I've been checking you out on um, Instagram so that I can put the link in, in the yeah. show notes and how much your daughters look like you. And yes. you said, yeah, and, and you're, you you look exactly the same as your your, your birth mother and yeah. um, you've got very strong genes so th- this physical representation has has been very uh, a very solid thing it yeah. has yeah 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 I think that was one of the things that I actually looked back on um when I was talking about deconstructing some of the feelings that I had was really the first time that I met my mom as my mom in in the, the first time that we physically um reunited and again that 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 pe- that period of time was very there was a lot of hard things that that particular weekend um so I didn't hadn't really taken much time to actually think about some of the thoughts that I was having then but as of late that is one of the moments I think that I that I really look back on is that first time that I actually met her physically and it was, you know, I could see that this person looked like me. I didn't really know anybody else or had not had anybody else in my life. I mean, I could have passed in my in my adoptive family. It's not that I looked so totally different, but I think looking at my mom, because we do represent each other very much, looking at someone that looks like you and and also just knowing that you've come from that person and, you know, she's your mom, but she's a stranger to you. Um and then I was a stranger to her. I think that moment, when I think back on it now, how I felt, like I felt, um, it felt terrible, actually. Like it, there was just this sense of like, how did this happen? You know, how can I be looking at my mom? And how can this woman be my mom? And I'm her daughter and we don't know each other. And everybody else around us was seemingly celebratory about it everybody just seemed to think this was the most wonderful thing like I had had this wonderful childhood and now here we were reuniting and what could possibly be you know sad about it and on the inside I was feeling the opposite of that I felt um yeah it felt terrible it felt heavy um and I knew kind of that's when things started to unravel for me um even if I maybe didn't know it at the time yeah so um was it was it uh, the expect were you expecting it to be different to that yes i think that that was that's one of the big things i think if you ask my mom she would tell you the same thing is that i think we both held expectations of how that would that reunion was going to go. I, I I think it's really important to make note of the fact that when you see those reunion shows on TV, um, I mean, those were all the, that was the only reference I ever had. And I think in my mind, I thought, oh gosh, you know, we're good. I don't know, actually really know what I thought. I was 18. And so I went into it pretty naively, but um, I think that I just thought, okay, well, we'll meet and I don't know, maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, I thought, well, we'll just kind of pick up and 
start this relationship and it'll be, you know, just kind of this extra family that I have and everything will be great. And I think that she thought, I don't think she thought that in particular, but I think that she thought she was going to feel more for me as I felt like I was going to feel more for her. Um, And then when that weekend came and we met and it was very obvious that we were both going to struggle. Um, I think we were both felt really sad about that. And I know my mom has said she just felt a lot of guilt about that because, you know, I was her child and, but it's like I made mention before, she didn't know me either. And I think that that's so heavy. And so the expectations for us were not met. And yeah, there's a lot of guilt and shame about that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm struggling with this on the basis that I have no lived experience of, of reunion. I've got no, I've got no benchmark. Um, I, I think, did I mention be, uh, before that I got a letter from Canada, I don't know, 2012, maybe something around that, uh, 2015, actually, probably, um, to say that my birth mother had died. So I, I have, I have no experience when, when, when normally we're talking about stuff on this show that I have a, a, a gauge point to, yeah. but with this, I have, I have, I have none. Well, yeah. I have found that that's kind of part of the, not issue. I don't want to call it an issue, but um, like I said, I've been doing this for 25 years and I really, I know just from kind of immersing myself in the adoptee community in the last few years, whether it be podcasts or, you know, literature or connecting myself kind of in my own community with other adoptees, I really am <laughs> sort of a unicorn in a way because I don't know anybody else that has been in reunion for as long as I have been. And so I think some, and I'm sure there are people, but I just personally have never come across um, anyone. And so for me, navigating this has also been, I mean, I am living the experience, but I think your experience is probably, I would, I don't want to say more common, but yeah, like it, I, I know some, that's part of, I think that's part of been the challenge for me is that I, I have been navigating this in kind of an isolated way. Um, it's, it's not something that happens very often. I mean, most reunions, a don't come to fruition or they're very casual or they don't last. Um, so it has been a very challenging experience for me, even though I'm living it. Um, I haven't had a lot of guidance, I guess. I don't know if you know if there is guidance for it, but um yeah so yeah it, it's just a, it's made up it, it, it's it's been made up right it, it has like, yeah. like, you, like your kids didn't come with a manual but you could you could, <laughs> you could buy a book about raising yes kids, you know that you this this um because it, it was you said it was tricky it was tricky at the start and it took a, a long while to 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 settle down it did um but now you you know it it's it would well how would you describe it now? Yeah, I, well, I think that um, probably present day, our our relationship is probably the best that it's ever been. Um, but it is getting back to that um, that root of uh, expectations and um, deconstruction work. Um, I think that reunion, another myth, well, I shouldn't say a myth, but it does take a lot of commitment on both 
parties, you know, like it takes a lot of commitment on, you know, has for myself and for my mom, but it also takes a lot of commitment to self. There's a lot of self-reflection, vulnerability that has to happen. Um, there's a lot of reflection on difficult things, sitting in hard feelings. And, um, and so both people have to kind of be willing to do that. And so I think that again is, is also difficult because sometimes you're not in the same place. And that's often been the case for us, especially in the beginning and that we weren't always in the same place, but I think we definitely are more together on that now. Um, and something that I've had to, to do with like going back, I said, like I said, to the deconstruction is to ask myself what I've actually, what I've actually believed to be true about myself um, in, in, in my adoption. So, um, you know, one of the things is it's like the, the age old adoptee um, thing is the being wanted and the rejection and the abandonment piece. Um, And especially in a closed adoption, I think the challenge is that you're kind of given that, that narrative of, you know, you would, you were better off. um, You have a better life. um, And these are your parents now and your old identity doesn't matter because attached to that is like, that would have been worse if you would have been your original person, you know? So somewhere along the way as a child or as a baby, even, even though I always knew I was adopted. And like I said, you were like, you're so loved, you're chosen, all of those things. Inherently, I think that you have this belief that, well, my mom actually, didn't really love me, you know, and I would have been worse off with her. Um, my life would have been terrible um, if I would have stayed with her. And then you fast forward all these years uh, to reunion. And even though when I met my mom, it was very difficult. I also met the rest of my extended family, my grandma, aunts and uncles, cousins, they were lovely. (laughs) They were lovely and loving and warm and welcoming. And I remember thinking, well, they're not terrible people. And even though things were hard with my mom, she wasn't terrible. And so I started to think, like, would my life have been like, what was I actually being saved from? And then you start to think, well, what else is what else is false then? Like, what else are beliefs that I've held that are false? And I think when you start to realize, like, for me, it was like, well, this isn't, this isn't the way I imagined it. This isn't what I've always believed. This isn't what, this is what people have led me to believe or, or, or didn't stop me from believing. And now that's not true. So what else isn't true? Um, And so that's kind of, for me, what was, what was, has been really challenging. And I think for my mom and I in our relationship, um, that's been really challenging because, like I actually held the belief that, well, my mom didn't really love me. And then when we reunited, because it was so hard off the, off the hop. And I realized, I mean, I've cleared enough space now that I realize it's also been very hard for her as the first mom, you know, um, we have very different lived experiences, but she's also struggling with her own loss and, and shame and all of that. But um, I, 
I know that I also, like, I did believe that perhaps she didn't love me. And, and because, like I said, it was so hard, we struggled to kind of find that connection, um, in the beginning, but as time has gone on and as work has been put in, um, she, of course she loves me. Like, like, and I had to really come around that to be like, okay, my mom does love me. And I have to, like, I was not accepting of that love. You know, I was not accepting of it. I, because I held that long, that belief that she didn't love me. She never could love me, that it wouldn't even be on the table, um, that she would love me. And so when she first told me that verbally, I remember thinking, oh, like I I was taken off. It took me off guard, you know? So those are things that I've had to work on and allow those, you know, those, those, what I think to myself, oh, that's not something that I, that's not what I thought this was. And then I've had to kind of be like, okay, well, what did I actually believe about that then to be true? And I've had to kind of sit in those things and and work my way through them. Phew. Uh, I mean, it sounds like more like a marriage in some ways. Oh God. Yes. That's actually a very good, um, I've actually used that um, comparison before because we've had to be committed to one another. And I've often said that we've had to decide, we've had to choose one another over and over and over again, you know, like, just like a marriage. I mean, you're married as am I, and I don't know about your marriage, but you know, mine, mine, I love my husband, but there's often times and I'm just like, Oh my God, (laughs) you know, you have to just get up in the morning or whatever and be like, okay, I choose to love you today. Even though I might you know, might not agree with you or you really annoyed me or whatever. It's always choosing one another. And I think with my mom and I, it's been the same thing. I think that we've had to just continually choose one another. Um, And I mean, that's getting easier. Like I would say today compared to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe even five years ago that for me now, I don't, I, I feel like we're in a place that that's it's moved more mother daughter now than maybe marriage, but like for a long time, it was very much like a marriage. Yeah. And, and the, but the thing is you, you, you didn't have to stick with it. No. You you wanted to to quite a lot, but you didn't have to. No, I didn't. So some things, some things, you know, behind you, driven you. Yeah, I think I, yeah, it's interesting because I have been asked that a lot. Like, you know, why didn't you just quit? Because I felt like it (laughs) multiple times. And like I said, there were, there were different periods throughout our relationship that definitely we weren't connected at all. You know, like, I think, like I said, when I had my first daughter, probably for those first five, six years, it was, we didn't really have a lot of contact. Um, things were really tough, uh, for, for both of us personally, like we were also kind of navigating some other things personally. Um, and so those were the times where I was just like, Oh, I, I don't really need this in my life. Like this is just a lot of extra stress and why am I bothering? But I had also formed quite 
um, close bonds to my extended family. So like I had mentioned before, like my grandma and my aunts and uncles, my cousins, I'm the oldest cousin. Um, and so I've had the pleasure and the joy of watching my, my little cousins. Some of them don't even, I mean, some of them were babies when I came into their life. So they don't even remember what life was like before me. And so I think having those bonds was, was something that really helped me through those tough times. Cause I thought to myself, how would I ever be able to yeah. say to my grandma, well, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. Or, you know, or my little cousins like, sorry, I was, I've been in your life and now I'm just going to like vanish, you know, like, I think that for me, that was a real lifeline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, the, uh, it's, it's interesting what you said there because I thought you were going to stick with it. Well, I, I thought you were going to say something about tenacity and the fact that you know you'd waited to eighteen and so you weren't going to give up that easily or something like yeah. that. Well, I am tenacious. I, I am, and that is the other part. Like I, I sometimes I don't know when to quit, <laughs> which maybe has served me well in this in this regard too. Yeah, yeah. I feel I, I have that. I'm. I'm tenacious as well, and I get I get mm -hmm. lock on right, you know, like yeah. my mind is set on something, and sometimes I don't change course early enough. Yes. So I I, I miss, you know, like something goes, I I I stick with stuff too too long. Yeah, I would say that sometimes I'm a sucker for punishment. I don't know if that's a phrase to use, but um, I I tend to that's something that I'm I'm probably. I don't want to say guilty of, but yeah, kind of guilty of. Um, but yeah, those bonds are really important to me. But also, I think that somewhere inside of me, even as a young adult, like when I was 18 or 19, when I started on this road, um, I knew that inherently I didn't want to be in and out of their life. Like I didn't, I didn't want to have a casual reading. Like I am very much like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I'm like that in my life, like with pretty much anything. So if I choose to do something, I'm going to do it. And I did not want to have that sort of, yeah, that kind of like in and out. I'm, you know, I, I, I didn't want it to be casual. I just thought to myself, like, if I'm going to re-enter into this family, then I want to do it so that I can actually be a member of this family, you know? Yeah. You were all in, right? I was all in, yeah. All in, and um, and I can't remember how relationships are with your adoptive mum. Is that I think is that you? Are you still in? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still, yeah, I still have relationships with what with relationship with my parents, my dad and my mom, um, my adoptive parents. Um, you know, it's been tricky. Like, there's definitely been challenges there. Um, and I think again, as I've deconstructed, um, there, there's been more and more things that, um, I, you know, I've come to light in my mind, um, about my relationship, um, with my parents and, you know, like <laughs> I was born in 1980, like I, I know it was a, it was a closed adoption. I know things were very different then. Um, there wasn't a lot of education or maybe literature or anything about what it might be like <laughs> to raise uh, an adopted child and what that might mean for the future. You know, I, I really understand that that's that wasn't the case. And so I've had 
to have a lot of grace um, in that regard or like grant that grace. Um, but I also think that I have changed a lot. Like I I've done a lot of work on myself and I've done a lot of um, hard work on myself and I I'm not afraid to have difficult conversations. I, I think that I've had to have a lot of difficult conversations. Um, and I've tested the waters a lot with, with my, my mom, especially my adoptive mom. And, um, you know, sometimes that's been met with, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's fear or if it's, um, just the generation that she's in. I don't know, but I've come to a place where I just realized like, those are things I just can't discuss with her. You know, I, I can't discuss them with her. Um, and so I've accepted that. Um, and I mean, I'm thankful I have my other mom, um, in my life because we, we do and are able to have difficult conversations. And so, um, I just kind of, yeah, I've kind of tried to, I mean, it's difficult. It is difficult to navigate. Um, these different relationships and, you know, you always have that guilt and that fear of what people are going to think if you're being disloyal or loving and, you know, all of that kind of stuff to your parents. But also I've had to just kind of root myself um, in my own beliefs about who I am and and the work that I've done and, um, and just kind of, yeah, offer as much grace as I can, but also honor my own, my own space and growth and healing. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to ask a silly question like how do you how do you navigate navigate those relationships, right? I'm not the I was listening to another podcast today, it wasn't an adoption one, but the guy <laughs> said how. And I just thought, oh come on, you know, that that you know, as best we can. As best we can. As best we can. Mm-hmm. That silver bullet question about how. Yeah. Um, so I'll ask you uh another one. Um do you think that beliefs get disconstructed or do you think that we deconstruct them? Um, I think we deconstruct them. I think that because I, if I'm being honest, there are a lot of people that will hold the same beliefs through their life. And, and there's nothing, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but for me, I've had to, in order to survive and survive well in a reunion and in, in my life, I feel like deconstruction has been necessary. It's been, the, it's been such hard work, but I think it's been necessary work in order to survive and to navigate these relationships. Um, and so I'm thankful that I've been in a place that I can do that because it has, it has been a, a huge survival tool for me because I am able to maybe hold a lot more grace for the people in my life than if I had not deconstructed these beliefs. And I am thankful that my beliefs have changed um, because I think it has helped me to then have a a really loving and full relationship with my mom, Um, you know, with my first mom. Um, But, you know, 20 years ago, perhaps I wouldn't have been able, I wasn't able to do that because my beliefs were as they were. So with, with, you, you've talked about uh, reflection and you talked about therapy. 
are, are those the main how tos in terms of how you've dis, de, disconstruct, sorry, deconstructed your beliefs? Yeah, therapy definitely has been a game changer for me. Um, I mean, I waited almost 20 years to do it before before I was kind of brave enough um, to do it. But man, am I ever glad that I did. It's really been the best gift, I think, that I've given myself. Um, it hasn't always felt like a gift, but I think it, it definitely has because she, she has helped me organize my thoughts and um, kind of work through them. Um, which has then allowed me to be able to reflect. And every time I leave her office, it, it's like she's planted some sort of, not planted, I, I don't want to make it sound like she's, you know, brainwashing me or anything, but it's like she leaves me with a thought, I think purposefully, so that when I leave, that that's something that I'm able to then reflect and think about and kind of tell our next session. And that has really helped me organize. Um because it feels insurmountable. I remember when I first started therapy, I thought, my God, how am I ever going to get through all this? Like, it just feels like this insurmountable pile of whatever. And I just remember thinking, I'm never going to be able to sort through this. But she's helped me kind of sort through it step by step, which has then helped me to reflect. So yeah, I think that it's moved me out of the chaos for sure, um, which has then helped me yeah, deconstruct in a in a more reflective way. So the 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 biggest or one of the biggest shifts that you've alluded to is the fact that um you you've gone from she didn't she didn't love me mm -hmm. to, to she does love me. Yes. So yeah. for me that's like one of the most fundamental beliefs. It is. So can you remember when, well, was there a particular uh, moment that you remember that you, when, when you noticed, when you became aware of the, the shift of yeah. cognitively? Yeah, it was about, it was, you know, I can't remember really the, like the date or time, but I remember the moment it was, um, we were just on the phone because, you know, we, we talk on the phone every few weeks and it was just a regular catch up. It was just a regular phone call that we were having just, you know, um, discussing, you know, life and et cetera, catching up, whatever. And so at the end of the, the conversation, um, as you hang up, you know, you're getting ready to hang up. There's always sort of a lull. Yeah we're going to say goodbye. And so we were getting to the end and there was a little bit of a lull. And then all of a sudden my mom was like, I love you verbally. And she had written it, you know, she had written it in cards before and like, you know, like a birthday card or whatever, but she never said it out loud um, to me. And I could tell like when she said it, it was awkward for her, not awkward because she didn't feel that way, but just because it was not something that she'd ever said out loud. And of course, when you say something like that for the first time, there's a, there's a vulnerability, um, taking a bit of a risk saying it. And she said it. And I remember being taken off guard, like, honestly, in that moment, when she said, I love you, I was like, Oh, it just, I just was not expecting it. Um, and I don't even remember if I said it back, <laughs> I can't even remember, but I remember getting off the phone after and just 
like sitting in that for a bit and thinking like, oh my gosh, like she, she does, like she loves me. And I, I think it's all of these you know, fast forward all these years later, I think I mentioned that before where I've, I've actually thought back to that moment. And because I've made room to reflect on those moments. And I I've often thought to myself, why was I taken so off guard in, in that when she said those words? And it's like I said, it's because I honestly, if I wasn't being honest with myself, I actually didn't think that that was even a thing. Like I didn't even think that was on the table. Wow. that she would love me. And then I started thinking about my own motherhood because I have two daughters. And I remember thinking when they were born, I didn't really know them either. I mean, I'd been carrying them around for nine months, but I hadn't seen their faces. I hadn't, you know, any of that. But I remember having them and thinking like, I don't know this little person, but I know I'd step in front of a, yeah. a truck for them, you know, in that moment. So then why would my mom feel any different yeah. about me you know like of course she loved me and it was just anyway it was like that moment and then really since that time since that phone conversation that we had like there's not been one time that we've hung up the phone or I've left her or she's left here like for me that she like she always says it she's never not said it since like she's she's very consistent in it um and it's like I love it it's I realized just like how much I really needed to hear those words and I love it and um I never get sick of hearing it but it still sometimes still takes me <laughs> off guard like I still am like oh my gosh like she does love me you know so I mean of the tw- are we talking a couple of years in we're talking about five years in when when was yeah that- like it was probably like that conversation probably happened I want to say it was probably like seven or eight years ago Right. Um, so we're and like 17, I said, 18 years in. Yeah, it was like it was wow. like a while in, but she like I said, she had written it before. It was just um the verbalizing of it out loud uh was that was the first time. And yeah, it's it really like I I always say, and I have often said that being seen and known and loved by my mom um has changed my life, you know, it really has, and it's not something that I like I said, when I expected going in, I didn't even think about that, but it it has really changed my life. And hearing those words from her is still so meaningful to this day. And it continues to kind of chip away at me. I think every time I hear them. Wow. So you, 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 you talked about another belief uh, earlier on, which was um, the belief that you would have been better. Mm-hmm. you would have been you were the, the adoption gave you a better life yeah was was that one of the beliefs that had, was deconstructed as yes well? yeah I think because we we can't know that you know there's no way of knowing that to be true and I know that my life would have been different with with my first mom for sure it would not have been the same but I don't think it would have been worse. It would have just been different. And I think there's a real danger um, in allowing <laughs> children to believe that, um, that somehow their life would have been bad or terrible with their with their first family or their first their first mom. 
and and was there a moment do you remember that do you remember that um that shift the, the shift yeah in- I think well? I think it's kind of was shortly after you know my mom told me she loved me and as like as when I started therapy I think that that kind of was a shift where I started to realize that man that's something that I yeah I held for a long time that I held for a long time because I I thought oh gosh well you know I I was obviously saved from a bad situation or something less than and and that's I think that's what has one of the most difficult things to turn around was was planted from that is that you start to feel like somehow your relationships would have been less than you know and so then now when I've been forming these relationships in my adult life uh, with my mom especially um, and with the rest of my family that there's always this um, thought that has lingered that I I wasn't super aware of but have become more aware of is that there is this thought that these relationships or people view these relationships as less than than perhaps you know with my adoptive parents or in my adopted circle life that these relationships are not as good as and you kind of hold on to that because that belief that you know your life would not have been as good as and so it kind of transfers into into your life as you are trying to form and navigate these new relationships so that was the, the reason I got up if you're wondering what I was doing I was uh we've got a puppy next door oh. and she's <laughs> like is she is she tearing the place apart so uh, I thought well shall I put it on her? shall I press hold and I thought, I'll just look out the window. um for me but I was listening clearly um and I'm going to prove that uh because it's so it seems, <laughs> it seemed to me that basically you know better than uh better than it, it comes down to that judgment piece, as in adoptive mothers are better than birth mothers. It comes, mm-hmm. it, it's as fundamental as that. That's what yes. kind of came through to me because the, the person responsible for that life is, I, I don't know, am I making sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And there, that, that also to follow up with that, I think you're right. There's this this very long held belief that, you know, you have these adopt like adoptive parents, they're married, they can't have children of their own, they really want children and they're financially stable. Um, you know, all of the things. They're like in this, they're they're the pillar of stability. And so what you've been taught or what has been held true since you were born is that these people who are strangers essentially to you are more worthy to raise you than your own mom yeah and and um i think for me i'm a little bit uh, well 13 years older um for me it was the single family thing, you know, mm-hmm. single mother families. Yeah. That was, the, the, it, it was two parents are better than one. Yes. And uh, and that was the main, I think that was the main driver 
um, and their economic things as well, yes. financial position. I think those for me are the biggest, the, the, were the biggest drivers back in, in, in that day. Whereas now, uh, some uh, I was talking to um, another can Canadian, um, Josie, who's going to be on the show soon. Uh, and she's a little bit older than uh, even me, right? Um, <laughs> um, she's on, but she was talking. Uh, she was she was asking me about uh, adoption in the UK and and some questions, and and, and what was the reason for it? Uh, and I and I said, well, it's it it was it it was um, two two parents are better than one, and financial stuff. That was yeah. the, that that was the main kind of drivers back in the 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 sixties, whereas now the drivers for adoption um well there's less voluntary adoptions i would imagine and it's more to do with um you know like a problem with addiction or neglect yes. something like that and it's a, so it's a state intervention rather than yeah uh, because in the uk single mums get uh get far more social support social services support than they used to do mm -hmm. and they are not as stigmatized Yes. Well, and I often think, you know, I, I think that something else I've reflected on is, you know, my mom was 18 when she had me. So that was 1980. And in 1980, people were getting married young and having children young. Like, the, you know, there was probably people who were getting married at her age and having children at her age or a little bit older, you know. So I often think to myself, you know, had somebody just offered her a little bit of help and support um, at that time, like just, you know, this is not ideal, obviously having a baby this young, but like, let me help you. <laughs> let me support you a bit. And, you know, in two years, she'd have been 20. And then she's not a teenager anymore. And so I think one of the biggest things for me is that adoption is lifelong you know those those couple of years would have been hard undoubtedly maybe maybe longer than that I don't know I obviously I'll never know but yeah those years would have been difficult but had there just been a little bit of support offered and a little bit of help offered to get her to a place at like 20 or whatever then it's a moot point like it doesn't it doesn't matter but it's adoption is for life like this has caused lifelong heartache lifelong challenges um it's generational you know it doesn't it never goes away and so um I don't know sometimes I that that really makes me sad because I just I think that people who are not adopted or um aren't first moms um that doesn't even register in their mind that this is a lifelong thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, you know, I was just thinking what would have happened for um, me not to be adopted. Like you just mm -hmm. said, well, if you can be in So if my birth mother and birth father um, had been going out for five months and she, she told him that, she was pregnant and he didn't want anything have to anything to do with it. So all it would have taken 
for me to not to be adopted was for him to have stood by it and in those days married her. Mm. That, that's all it was saying. So the logistics, right? So if, if that's all it would have taken, right? It, it, it wasn't about her not loving me. It yes. was logistics. Yeah, totally. And um, that's so something it's all that it's all yeah, about meaning. Nothing. It totally is. And that's something that I've come to realize, you know, especially in the last few years that, um, yeah, it had nothing to do with her not loving me. Um, it just had more to do with, you know, the circumstances at the time and, um, which is super unfortunate because also, you know, it's, it's had such a huge impact. It, it's a, it's had such a huge impact on my life as it has hers, you know, and I, I've seen that more and more as I've, I've gotten older. Um, and as I've traveled through this, that her life has also been very much affected, um, by that loss and still is. Yeah. So I, what I was thinking about as you were talking there, uh, a, a, a key belief thing, okay. Or uh, a, a key insight opener for me was, and I don't, I don't quote Shakespeare because I couldn't understand it when I was doing it at school, right? With a Shakespeare play, no one. But they'll throw a line I can, and it, it's something like, um, nothing has any meaning other than the meaning we give it. Yeah. And. And we're, we're taking an awful amount, we're taking an awful lot personally as a human race. Yes. And we're making it about us when it was really about, it wasn't even about them. It no. It was about the circumstances. Yes. And and how that, how that belief... You, this this is kind of I, I I talk about this quite a lot at the moment. Um, so if we we think of and it's because we've got this new puppy. That's that's why it's on the mind, right? <laughs> She's our fourth dog. We've, the the first two have died. The third one's still alive. We've got a fourth one, right? But I remember. Sorry, listeners, if I said this, I, I've been talking about it a lot, so I apologise. But it's a big thing, right? The fourth one, I haven't heard a cry at night. But I heard the first one, the second one, and the third. Yeah. At night. When, especially the first night. Right. So for me, that kind of sends chivers down my spine. That kind of sums up uh in, in, in a in a, a rather woeful um example an adoption trauma, right? So you but the the how does that that feeling become a belief that we that that we that our birth mother didn't love us enough? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there seems to be a, a that's a huge journey. It is a huge journey. It's a huge I, journey. Yeah, it is a huge journey, and I I like I said since I've been doing this a really long time and my mom and I are quite close now, like present day. Um, 
And like, I, I know that she loves me. Like, I, I don't doubt that any longer like that. I don't doubt it. I, I know that she loves me. I know that she's happy. I'm in the world. Um, I know she doesn't regret having me, you know, I, I know that, but I also know that she holds, um, a lot of her own sadness and loss and grief and shame. And that, that's something that, you know, she's always going to have, I think on some level. And that makes me sad. Cause I just think like, you're right. It's circumstances. It wasn't because she was bad. It wasn't because she, you know, committed the death, like the worst sin in the world, like the, the probably which she held those beliefs, you know, like those are the beliefs that she held because that's what people impressed upon her. And so here we are all these years later. Um, and you know, she, she has those feelings and it, yeah, it just makes me sad because you're absolutely right. Like, we it's not because you know she didn't love me it's not because she was bad it's not because you know she did anything wrong it's just what it was and it's had this like massive effect you know um still all these years later but i I think it's really um what do we do with these beliefs right so i I was talking about this and somebody else the other day it seems like there's um uh there's an inkling right so i was i was thinking about this like uh the the inkling so something goes off in our little two-year-old brain four-year-old brain seven-year-old brain something something lands for us maybe it's something that's pressed on uh, as you say uh pressed on it pressed upon us by others because most beliefs start well all beliefs start Mm -hmm. from the outside um yeah uh there's there's no such thing there's, I think there's, you know, there's no such thing as a, a second-hand insight. You know, we have to have them for ourselves. But every single, every single belief is a hand-me-down. It, that, that yeah. Second, they're all second-hand or third. They are, yeah. So I, I was thinking, like, to me, it started like, well, it's it starts off like a little a, a snowflake, right? And 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 then um, then then more as snow lands and you know we're we're picking this we're we're picking this thing up and it becomes like a, a snowball and then we're rolling it along we're, we're rolling it along the ground and it's picking up more and more snow and and it's the base for a you know a, a stomach and and that's that is the construction of the belief so the deconstruction of it is about getting a um, bringing it into the light of a, of awareness you know, out of the out of the shame of the darkness, out of the the the, the yes. bring it out into the light with reflection, with therapy, and like it, it's like bringing an industrial heater, yes, to the to this 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 big four foot wide snowball, mm-hmm. and then uh, and 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 but it it doesn't doesn't go straight away, right? It, it like we're 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 um. We're keeping the heat on it. We're keeping talking on it. Keeping keeping talking about it. Um, that's what we're doing on the podcast, and that's why I'm staying with this metaphor, listeners. Right, uh, and and it melts and it becomes it becomes water, and and then it and then we keep the heat on it and it becomes vapor, and then it's gone because yes. it it was it was made of thought. That's that's all it was. 
Yeah, shame shame is probably the greatest, you know, the greatest and the heaviest load to bear in, in an adoption. I think just overall shame is at the root of all of the hard and bad and sad um, feelings. And, you know, shame cannot survive if it's pulled into the light. So I, I think I, I, I totally think that's a great analogy. And um, you're right. The more that we talk about it and the more that we pull it into the light, the less power it holds uh, over us and others. Um, and so something I figured out just last week is, is this, she, so my thought was, my belief was she didn't love me enough to keep me. Right. So, and it came out as anger, right. The flip side of that is that I'm unlovable, which is the shame bit. So the two sides Mm -hmm. of the same coin and, and people like a few therapists have told me this recently that, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, anger is shame in drag or something like that. And you know that's that's how, and that that's what it is, right? It's about our unlovability, and shame isn't just the biggest thing for adoptees; it's the biggest thing for for humans. Like so, there's yes. this uh, scale of human consciousness, uh, and it goes from noise. I talk about this quite a lot. So Power, Power versus Force by David Hawkins is the book. And it's a scale of consciousness from zero to a thousand, right? Zero is dead. And a thousand are the great, well, uh, religious avatars, but it, it's not a religious thing, right? Your unconditional love is about 550. Um, uh, shame is 20. Shame is 20. And and, and dead is, is zero. So there's nothing between, uh, and, and that's, that that shame piece and, and death that that's why we see death. That's we that's why we see the suicide rates amongst adoptees. Yeah, it? it's it's the most profound. It's the lowest level of consciousness. Um, so how that that lovability? How do you see those those two things? The she didn't love me and I'm unlovable. How do you see those things going together? Yeah. So, um, it's like you said, like, I think sometimes maybe even like I'm unlovable came before she doesn't love me, you know? So it's like, I'm unlovable. She does. So my own mom doesn't even love me. (laughs) And therefore it goes, you know, goes on like that. So, um, that has been a real, yeah, that has been a real stress for me to, start to offer myself love and start to accept love, you know, for myself, for my mom, um, you know, like for my husband, like from people around me, I think that I always unconsciously had this like very distinct wall, um, around me. And I actually, I think I believe that like, I actually don't really need love. I really, I like my husband and I actually chat about this now because he, he's been with me. We've been together, well, 23 years, married for 20. So he's, he's kind of, he probably obviously knows me very well. And, you know, he, he said, you probably need more love than anybody 
but you have always kind of put forth this, this belief or this kind of whatever you want to call it that I, I actually don't need no like love. I'm, I'm okay. I don't need love as much as somebody else. Um, which I think was just me protecting myself, you know? Wow. Yeah. Oof. Did he have to, did, did he have to, uh, um, fight against that in the early days? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Like he, you know, we talk about it now and he, I think at the, in the beginning, he didn't like he, as, as we've been together and as I've walked this road, because like I said, he's walked this road with me almost as long, but in the beginning, he also had no reference about adoption or my life experiences, like, et cetera. So he, I think he just thought that it was, he took it personally, you know, where it was kind of like, I was very kind of hardened and, um, like I'm not a super affectionate person or I wasn't, um, those just, that just wasn't who I was. And that's what I, I told myself, like, this just, just isn't me. And I mean, to some degree, it's true. Like I'm not a, you know, I'm not a super, super affectionate person even to this day, but I'm certainly a lot better and more open-hearted about it. But I think back then he did take it quite personally, but I think as he's stuck with me and as I've walked through this and, you know, he has seen the change in me just from like doing the work and he can start to see now, especially that like, actually that's, that wasn't the case. I, that was just for me, uh, a protective mechanism. Um, and yeah, I think he, he's, he's, he's a, he's a good guy. <laughs> he's, he's stuck, he's stuck with me through, um, all of this. And he's really, even though he doesn't understand what it is to be adopted he certainly has at least tried you know um and I'm thankful for that because yeah I'm sure I wasn't the easiest to be around at some time you know sometimes um and to stick with so well it's all stick it's all sticking isn't it so you sticking with your mum your mum's sticking with you you (laughs) with your husband your husband's sticking with you it's like yeah yeah maybe we should call it stickability this yeah stickability uh, yeah stickability um yeah so i'm conscious of time is there anything that you'd like like to share um Um, i think like just you know if i guess if anybody is listening and um they think that they hold those beliefs that they're they're not love like that they aren't worth loving and that they can never be loved um or maybe they believe that you know, their mom didn't love them. Um, I just, I guess I just want people to, you know, understand that, you know, you're worth, you're worth the work and you're worth the time and that, you know, you are loved and you are lovable and um, that, you know, there is, there is a way to kind of like, work your way out of those beliefs, you know, to change your own beliefs. Um, and I just want to offer encouragement, I guess, to anybody who, who is, might be thinking those things that, you know, you are loved and, and you are worth, you are worth the work. Yeah. Wow. Thanks so much, um, Amy. It's been brilliant. And thank you to listeners. We will speak to you again very soon.
Take care. Yes, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Bye.